delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is On the Grid. G'day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On the Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you so much for joining us. What a big weekend it was up at Bathurst, the Bathurst Six Hour. Some amazing racing. And a race that was won by Cameron Hill and Tom Sargent. Cameron Hill to join us in just a sec to have a chat to myself and Richard Crowell about what was a pretty big weekend for him and his team. Mark Walker also to have a chat about the weekend up at Bathurst and plenty of other things happening in the world of motorsport. All that to come right here on The Grid. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on The Grid. Joining me off the top, as always, Richard Crowell. Hello, Crowell. Welcome back from the Bathurst Six hour. Yeah, Shebex, another Mount Panorama Classic. Who would have thought that that place turns on good motor racing? It just surprises us every time we go there, doesn't it? Isn't um, it amazing that endurance racing does that, though? Oh, over over is. such a long distance, a long period, that you can have such close racing. It never disappoints, Shebex. Every year we go there, whether it's the 6, the 12, the 1,000, and it throws up something different. And this year was was particularly special. Um it felt much like we talked about last week with the Grand Prix. There, there was a real vibe around Bathurst last week that it just felt like everyone was so pleased to be back at Bathurst and back at the mountain. And, you know, we were there last December, but it wasn't quite the same. Well, Quails, you're joining us for a chat about being a Bathurst winner. And I want to know, obviously, he'd love to be a Bathurst 1000 winner, but I reckon being a Bathurst six-hour winner is nearly just as good. Cameron Hill, is it or isn't it? Oh, I don't know, yeah. I imagine the 1,000 would feel pretty good, but the six-hour does also um, feel quite special as well. So, yeah, not so bad. It was a pretty special race for you guys too. Congratulations to you and Tom Sargent and the team. Uh, is faultless a good word to use? I mean, yeah, in terms of our, our race day. yeah, Race day for sure, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, pretty special day. You know, we talk about the Bathurst gods quite a lot. And um, I don't know, they, they were just shining on us that day. We we had a, an awesome run. You know, obviously Tom pulled some, you know, massive stints and, and did an awesome job behind the wheel. Uh, you know, Diane, my engineer uh, on the strategy, we, we had that pretty much nailed. And, and the crew from a pit stops perspective, um, you know, were, were awesome. And, and, of course, the car didn't miss a beat all day. So, yeah, I guess that's, that's a faultless day at Mount Panorama. So history made, Cameron. It's the furthest back anyone has started a Bathurst endurance race to claim a victory. So you are forever entrenched in the history books of that place, which go back 84 years as having come from further back than anybody to win that race. So clarif- remarkable. clarifying that others have come from last, but not from 373 cars back. Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> one's come from beyond, as far as we can work out, 40th, let alone 63rd. When you woke up on Sunday morning after the, the issues post-qualifying and the exclusion for that little ride height glitch, um, did you believe still that you went into that race with a, a realistic shot of winning it? We, we did go into Sunday still believing we had a great chance of, of winning. Um you know, it was obviously pretty devastating uh, for the whole team to have that um, stuff up on on Saturday, to be honest, because 
you know, that's obviously one thing that we won't have, which was obviously Tom Sargent on pole um, because that was an, an epic lap and, and it was so exciting to see him shine uh, on the big stage against some pretty, pretty fancied opposition. Um, but, you know, I, I sat down with the team on Saturday night. We were having dinner and I said, honestly, guys, our race and whether or not we start on pole or whether we start 60th, I honestly believe our chances of winning are only, you know, maybe one or 2% different because mm. it's such a dynamic race, which can get turned on its head so quickly. You know, we already had the scenario. Well, okay, well, if there's a safety car at 30 minutes, we'll stay out. We'll get track position. But mm. it turns out we didn't really need to because by the time the first window for the pit stops happened, we were already sort of top 10. <laughs> mm. Um. So tell me about Tom's opening stint. So 63rd to 42nd in one lap uh, by the end of lap one when you crossed the line in 42nd place. Lap two, you were 32nd. So there's another 10 spots. 26th by lap three. You're in the top 10 by the 10th lap of the motor race. What were the instructions you gave Tom who started that race, which was, I thought, a really big call. Um, and, and I suppose tantamount to your faith in how good a talent he is to deal with that. But what were the instructions you gave him for those opening laps? I guess, you know, all we said to Tom was, you know, be patient. Obviously, it is a long race. And, you know, obviously, there's a lot of class cars there. So we're going to have a massive pace advantage of them on them and, and obviously a bit of straight line speed. So there was no need to do anything too fancy, really. Um, but in saying that, there you, you need to be pretty switched on to stay out of other people's mess. And, um, you know, credit to him, he was able to just kind of glide his way through that field and, and very quickly uh, into, a, into a competitive position. Um, he made it look easy. So that was pretty cool to watch. You know, there was a big cheer when we got on to the, um, onto the stand coverage screen, you know, he was up <laughs> to 25th and, and then uh, into the top 10 as well. That was a big cheer. So it was, it was exciting. Um, and pretty much we went from, okay, we've got to dig ourselves out to, all right, well, we're in this motor race now um, within about 10 laps, as you said. So mm. that was good and, and we could just get down to business. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure the other teams were probably always going, oh, yeah, they'll they'll get there, you know, at some point in the race. But I'm, I'm, they were probably a bit surprised that we were there so soon. You had one of only half a dozen extreme cars in the field. Uh, so you're always going to be top 10 at some point, just on raw pace. And if you stayed out of trouble, that was always going to be the case. Did you guys have a, a point in the race earmarked as to where you would like to have been top 10? Richard mentioned you were there by lap five, was it? Lap 10. Lap 10. Did you think maybe, well, let's let's aim for the first hour or something? Was there, was there something earmarked as a strategy for that? I think we sort of wanted to be you know, in that, that top 10 sort of position by the end of the first cycle of, of um, pit stops, you know, we sort of identified that an early safety car is, is an opportunity. Um, and there was an early safety car, but it was before the 30 minutes. So, but it actually still worked out because mm. it just brought the, the field back together and let Tom continue to make inroads. And then by the time that next safety car came out, well, we weren't, you know, because we discussed the danger of, you know, pitting and going a lap down, but 
we were never faced with that danger. So um, it was a cracking way to sort of start the race and it put us on track for the, the end result. If we can stick with Tom Sargent for a moment, because not many people may know about Tom and, and what he's done. He's still a young guy himself, Formula Ford champion last year and wasn't touched. I mean, he was that far ahead of the rest of the field. Crazy stuff. This kid has an amazing future coming up and racing in uh, Porsche Michelin Sprint, uh, yeah, Michelin Sprint uh, competition this year. Yeah, yeah. Tommy's uh, a star in the making. Uh, it's been pretty cool to work with him over the last few years in in our Formula Ford team. And and like you said, you know, just absolutely dominated um, the Formula Ford championship last year. And um, I think you know it really showed fast that we knew he had, but to, to do it on the big stage like we did on the weekend, um, it was great because it's probably the first time that the, the greater motorsport fraternity has maybe even laid eyes on this kid. Um, and I, I'm sure they'll all be sort of uh, taking notice of what he does next. And um, yeah, it was super cool to, to watch how he drove and um, yeah, that quality lap, I mean... That was pretty big, so um, yeah, yeah. very, very cool. And, and that that the, the stint he did in the middle of the race was probably longer than we anticipated. The way it sort of fell, there was a lot of green flag running, um, mm. and so he ended up doing. Oh, it must have been over two hours. Um, and he came in and he said, "Yep, yeah, oh, I was. I had nothing left. And, you know, his <laughs> foot was foot was on fire because um, the floor was getting pretty hot in our car, and um, oh, he did a great job." And Richard, I'm not sure whether you're aware, but he doesn't just turn up on race weekends just to race. He turns up on every other race weekend to be a part of what Cameron Hill Racing is doing as well. He's driver coaching in Formula 4 and the like. He's mm. just fully involved with the team, which is beautiful. Well, and, and Cam, we told the story in the broadcast of him. He was pedalling as hard as anybody to build the car, wasn't he, in, in the workshop to get the thing ready because it was still a bit of a question mark a few weeks out from the race. Yeah, Tom... Tom put in a, a mammoth effort to, to get us there on the grid and, um, you know, absolute credit to him. He doesn't shy away from from work at all. He did a lot of late nights, um, you know, my dad included as well, and, and they just got it done. And um, we all had to sort of band together while they were just um, slogging away on, on the BMW. I was kind of in there making sure that the former Fords were, ready to go because we still had plenty of other racing going on. So um, it was a massive team effort. Um, and, yeah, the kid, he's got a, a great work ethic, which is definitely going to help him uh, further down the line. Speaking of massive efforts, let's fast forward because I want to talk about the finish of this thing because it's one of the great Bathurst shootouts. It always delivers and we, we get grandstand finishes there every year, but this was really cool stuff. First, Firstly... When you came out of pit lane after that final pit stop and saw that Tim Slade's margin was 50 seconds, did you believe at that point that you'd have enough car speed to mow them down? No, no, we didn't have enough. It was like just over 50 minutes and it was a 50-second gap. So mm -hmm. that would mean I'd have to drive two seconds a lap every lap until the end, um, which would have been, you know, next to near impossible. and. But we made the decision, you know, we, we, they actually had a pretty, pretty nifty strategy um, and it, it wasn't as straightforward as, as it may have seemed on TV, but basically they, they kind of had us uh, in a really tricky spot. They, mm -hmm. we worked out if we did a, a, a pit stop and we didn't take tires and we absolutely nailed it, 
we were still going to pop out 20 seconds behind. Yeah. And okay, 20 seconds, it's maybe doable, but you might never get there. Mm. Um, so we decided to take tires and um, I don't think they had taken tires for quite some time. And we were basically banking on, well, if there is a safety car, which statistically was not so far fetched, um, that would put us in a seriously strong position. And, um, you know, two laps later, I think the safety car came out. So um, that changed the game. Yeah. And they, they'd done a right front, I reckon their second to last compulsory stop, but they bowled their six compulsory stops out the way very, very quickly. Like you said, their strategy was really good. So their last stop was a free one and that, and it was fast. So they got that track position. So then the safety car comes out and 50 seconds was 10, but you still had to deal with some traffic. So mindset there, it was pretty clear for us to see because you broke the lap record twice, uh, chasing him down. So when you got to the back, obviously things become a little bit more difficult because Tim Slade turns out properly good racing car driver, right? He's done this once or twice. So just talk us through that battle and, and getting to the back of Slady and then how that battle changed when you got to the back of that BMW and, and had to work pretty hard to try and find your way past. It's definitely probably the most fun I've had in a race car for a little while. Um, I think it took me a lap and a half, maybe two laps to clear some of the lap traffic. Mm. And like you said, it was about 10 seconds at that point. And um, all race long, it had sort of been this game of, you know, go as quickly as you can, but, you know, not too quick because you don't want to um, blow the tyres off the thing. But basically, I went, well, I've got the new tyre advantage now, so let's make some hay while the sun was shining. And um, just, and I don't know, the car just felt felt really hooked up. Um, and it was pretty cool to be able to punch out those laps. And because we'd sort of cleared the lap traffic, there was about five or six laps where it was just Mount Panorama to ourselves, which you just don't get that often. And mm-hmm. um, that was really fun as uh, we, we were chasing him down. But yeah, uh, Slady, um, he put up a damn good fight. I don't think he had much to fight with. Um, you know, like like we said, they, they had a big tired disadvantage. But um, I kind of caught up to him right as we hit the tail end of the field. And so he was kind of covered a little bit by some of the traffic because we had to sort of navigate it together. But then, um, you know, I, I've um, I've raced some pretty good drivers, uh, you know, through Carrera Cup, um, ex-supercar guys, and, and they're very good at just putting the car right where they need to and making sure that where your car's strong, you can't do anything with it. And he was doing all the right things. And my concern was, was if I don't get this done quickly, I'm going to lose my um tire advantage and and my car was getting hot like Mm. our car had been cruising around all day really nicely and then all of a sudden i'm behind him i'm looking at the water temp gauge and she was you know 110 and i've got all these red lights flashing at me and i'm going this is not good so um (laughs) i had to get it done pretty quickly that's incredible so you you had a crack at the cutting which i thought was bold very uh I saw you, we saw you go the send there, and uh, I think discretion is the better part of valor, and you backed out. But- I actually think your commentary, Richard, at that point was he can't get it done through there. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was surprised. There there was some surprise, but then uh, turns out the old Brock skyline, mate, blind bit of road, road disappears off you. Generally not noted as an overtaking spot. In fact, it's so not an overtaking spot that even Jamie Wincup. Uh, kept Chaz Mostert behind him there, and he was out of fuel in 2014, mate. So 
you clearly got a very good run off McPhillamy. Um, was it just a case of, no, nah, I'm going. I've got to commit. I've got to go. Yeah, I'll be absolutely honest. There was, wasn't was much premeditation to it. <laughs> I um, I just knew like- that I had a good car in left-hand turns and he through McPhillamy, I could carry so much more speed. And I just, you know, as a racing car driver, you just get this gut feeling um, and you basically decide I have to do it. And, um, you know, he, there was a car, there was a car with, <laughs> and yeah. I just kind of put my car there and, um, you know, if it was anyone else, it could have been drama, but mm-hmm. I sort of trusted Tim to, to sort of know that I was there and I did my best to leave him room. Um, I didn't even know he sort of took to the escape road until I sort of watched the footage back afterwards. But, um, I was just kind of hanging on to my thing. But um Well yeah, at, that, was... at that point I think everyone thought there was contact between the two of you when he took the escape road. It but then obviously like... as we saw the replay, we saw that it wasn't. But initially you're right, it did look like it, didn't it? The mirrors touched. Um oh, okay. I didn't yeah. even know. My roll cage kind of obstructs my left mirror, so I never really got to use it at any point throughout the day. But um we looked at the footage and all of a sudden you, you could see my reflection in the mirror. But um that was pretty close. So we we, we rubbed mirrors, um, but yeah, he was he was pretty kind not to to turn it into a into any sort of big issue. But um, yeah, I had to do it because you know, their car was actually pretty pacey down the straights, so it wasn't going to happen there. Um, and he just kept so he, in all the general passing places, he just sort of kept putting the car in the right spot. So it had to happen somewhere. Mate, Cameron Hill Racing this year, it's a massive year for you guys. Probably the biggest year you've ever had, isn't it? A couple of guys racing in Formula Ford. You've got Tom Racing, as we said, in uh, the Michelin Sprint Cup. Yourself in uh, Supercars and Super... Yes, Super 2. Yeah. Uh, It's a massive year. Yeah, it's... Every year you have your biggest year, you think, oh, gee, we can't take much more on. But this year is big. Um, Like you said, we've got a pretty big Formula 4 program. We've got four cars running. Uh, and, you know, we're going to be running Tommy in the Sprint Challenge, which will be exciting. Um, and then, you know, my own race program with Triple Eight in, in Super 2. So it does become a little bit of a juggling act, but I, um, one thing that I am really quite enjoying is working with an operation like Triple Eight, um, you know, having a few, you know, pre-briefs and debriefs and, and getting to the racetrack and, and just knowing that, you know, my car is fully prepared is it's quite nice, um, but yeah, I sort of fill my time in by basically being in our shop and uh, making sure all that stuff's running along smoothly. So it is a big year. It's it's busy, and um, you know, time will tell if um, we can achieve the same sort of heights that we did last year. I think we're already doing pretty good with a six-hour win. So um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's going well. I was going to ask, mate, and we'll get to your Super 2 program in a sec, but what are you getting out with your team boss hat on and you're trying to build your race team and grow it and you've won a Carrera Cup championship and you've won a Formula 4 title, couple now, and do you look at Triple Eight and go, ooh, gee, that works well, I might pinch that for our team? Is there legitimate learnings that you're getting from being a driver at arguably the best race team in Australia that you can transfer over to your race team and help build that and grow it and make it even more successful? Oh, for sure. I've, I've definitely been super impressed with, um, you know, the Triple Eight organisation. And I, I, I really admire the, well, firstly, the personnel. They've got great people on board. They've got a great culture. Um, but also just their, their structure um, and their, 
um, just how well organized it all is. It, I certainly go, oh, gee, you know, um, that that is something that I really want to try implement more of in our race team. And it's a bit different when you go from an organization of 60 staff or whatever to an organization of three and a half or four <laughs> staff members. So basically we all have to take on a lot more roles, which means, you know, you are more stretched, but um, you can definitely just probably more how good the communication is and how well they plan um, and, you know, always debrief, you know, we can probably be a little bit, I think everyone, you know, you always have a debrief when, um, you know, something doesn't go right, but you should also debrief when it goes well uh, as well, because then you can go, well, even though, yeah, we had a great result, you know, why were the tire pressures, you know, only, you know, done on the grid? Like why weren't they done, you know, 15 minutes before? So you can always take bits and pieces away, especially from the whole procedure uh, and organization side of things. And I've definitely been enjoying that. Um, but at the same time, you know, they, they are certainly at a, you know, pretty high level and, and I am just enjoying, um, I guess, being immersed in that as well. Yeah. And last one, mate, uh, Wanneroo, in a week's time, uh, you head across to the West. I tried to rack my brains whether you'd actually raced at Barbagello before, but I didn't think you had. No, uh, it's kind of a level playing field for Super 2 because they haven't been there for a while. So you must be excited about that opportunity to go there and continue your learning curve in the supercar, but go there with a field that, for the most part, will all be trying to do the same thing. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to Perth. Um, you know, not having been there is actually not too much of an issue because I don't think many people in the field will have mm. been there. So uh, the last time we raced or the supercars raced there was 2019. Um, the track had been, just been resurfaced. And so, you know, that was a big year of learning for all the, the main game teams and, and obviously the Super 2 teams as well. And I think since then, the teams have all come a long way as well. So it'll be really great to see how everyone rolls out um, across the field, but it's definitely an opportunity for us to sort of come out in front and, and get a good result. Final one from me, mate. You're, uh, your dad's obviously a big part of what you do as well. Does he ever smile? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen him happy. Mate, you, he had a massive smile on his face uh, when we crossed the line on Sunday. Um, it was actually really, really good to see. And I just got home today and he was sitting on the couch and I said, oh, what did you do today? And he said, I sat here all day. And I said, good. Um, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he's had a day off in, oh, since probably 2008. So wow. um, he, he, he had a big smile on his face on Sunday. I think he was um, pretty stoked to see the car he built, uh, you know, achieve what, what it achieved. It was, yeah. um, it was an awesome result. Well, he'd have a big smile on his face, mate, if he's thinking about what his son's achieved so far in his career. And hopefully there's still plenty more to come. Cameron, thanks for your time. Congratulations on the win on the weekend in the six hour and look forward to seeing you hold uh, up that tr first place trophy a few more times this year. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Cameron Hill joining us here on The Grid. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On the grid. Uh, joining us to wrap up the program with his concise look at the world of motorsport. Actually, no, it's Mark Walker joining us. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, mate. Fair, How are you? Fair dinkum. <laughs> uh, I'm 
can I be brutally honest? I'm gumbooted. I am absolutely shaved. Oh, I, I don't imagine. know about you, Richard. Yeah, but how you go? Because I'm not going terribly well. <laughs> not great. It's. Uh, I I feel like I got to Saturday at Bathurst was when I went. Oh, I'm a bit tired after the events of the last fortnight. Um, and then uh, the adrenaline kicked in, and uh, we we're all good through Sunday. But uh, I sat down on the plane on Monday afternoon at Sydney Airport. Uh, well, you were uh, gallivanting back down to Melbourne in the Mustang, and uh, we'll talk more about that. Uh, and I shut my eyes, and I woke up somewhere over the South Australian border, and that's <laughs> someone who never sleeps on the plane. So uh, it kicked in there. Yeah. Uh, and boy, Monday night, did I sleep well. Um, yeah, big big fortnight, but what a what a tremendous weekend! That was a thoroughly enjoyable Bathurst experience. It was just really really good. It's a cool event. I put a tweet out, boys, on Friday or Saturday, saying if you're if you haven't been to Bathurst mm. and you want a Bathurst event to break your virginity, that's the Ooh. one to go to. That's the one to do first. And it's ease, the country cousin, isn't it? Ease yourself in. <laughs> No, this is just, no, it's just so Am simple. I... I mean, there's no there's no pretentious anything about it. It's just everyone's yeah. just there to have a great time. It's just like the, the twelve hour is big. Um the one thousand can be completely and utterly overwhelming, frankly, if you've never been there. And it's very expensive. So the six hour, it's laid back, it's relaxed. The vibe in the paddock is just so cool. Every year it is really, really good. Um there's space to move around, access all areas quite literally in some instances, and um, <laughs> it's just a great event. Oh, a brilliant weekend. Tiring, but brilliant. It's hmm. good. Um, it's a good total package, isn't it? Because your supports are TCR and Trans Am and, mm. and, and then a few of the local categories as well, which because of being local categories, they all have decent fields, which is what you want to see. Um, yeah, you can't really fault it for anything that's going on there. So, yeah, good vibe in the paddock, good, you know, little campground behind the pits, but uh, it was pumping all weekend long and, yeah, good times. All right, before we have a look at the race itself and cover off on that, uh, your drive up there was covered in a excellent podcast, boys. Well done. The trip from Melbourne up to Bathurst. Did you enjoy it? You sounded like you did. On the grid, on the road. Yeah, we, we, we had a really good road trip up, didn't we, Mark? It was, an, it was a great drive. Um, We've got to say... Thanks to Ben Nightingale at Ford Australia, who's a friend of the program. Um, and I, I rang him a couple of weeks ago and said, dude, I've got a crazy idea. Uh, it's a couple of Mustangs running in the uh, Bathurst six hour. What do you reckon about the chance of us doing a roadie between Melbourne to Bathurst in one? It was like, oh, yeah, that works. And sure enough, away we went. So it was just fun. It was fun talking about Bathurst road trip experiences, and Mark's got some amazing stories of those, only a, a tenth of which made it to the podcast, some of them definitely non-broadcastable. Um, but it was great, great drive, really good car. There'll be a review coming to TRT on that soon. Um, oh, just a nice way to arrive in style uh, around the back of Mount Panorama there on the, the Wednesday, Mark, and cruise up up the mountain in a Mustang. Uh, I'm I'm a Ford boy, Richard. I mean, I've been a Ford boy since Dickie Johnson started driving Fords and I was able to watch it on TV when I was a wee kid. I mean, my first job was at a Ford dealership. My first car was a Ford. My current car's a Ford. So if I could have any car at the moment, I'd probably have that one that we had on the drive mm. up there. And that's probably the, the thing that really hits home right now and is a dagger and twist in my heart is that we had to give that car back and I got back in my nice little focus. It's a sporty little thing. It's got the, all the fruit on it. 
but it doesn't stop or go. <laughs> or turn. Or, or turn. Oh, well, mm. I mean, the Mustang's turning circle is a bit of a boat, but uh, I tell you what, what a cool bit of kit. <laughs> it is such yeah. a cool thing. Even fighting the Monday, Easter Monday traffic down the Hume, um, my navigator, Shane Rogers, he actually picked out all the side roads <laughs> to get us back to Melbourne from about halfway down Victoria. <laughs> and we missed all the traffic jams, got home in record time, but we'd got to do all the rad country roads there. And uh, I tell you what, what a, what a cool thing. Definitely is. Had the opportunity to do it from Sydney to Bathurst a couple of times, but never done it uh, from you got, Melbourne. Uh, you got, got nobbled, nobbled that trip, didn't you, Shebex, from memory, and you, you had a well, blue I, Mustang. And I seem to remember you running, had a bit of a run in there with the Bathurst the, Constabulary. At the Bathurst Airport, there's a sign that brings it back to 80 kilometres, and there was a truck parked in front of it. I didn't mm. see the sign. Mm. The uh, police didn't believe that was the case, though, and as a result, I kept on doing 100 mm. and, yeah, got done. Double demerit points, long weekend, all that sort of stuff. That was one that never made the podcast. Was uh, Richard banging out rad U turns in Katoomba or wherever it was? Or have you have you stricken that from your memory? Oh, I think I have stricken that from my memory. Mm. Actually, was that when we went to uh, Catalina Park? I oh, know we're driving to Bathurst with OVL, and you've you've busted oh, a U turn yeah, no, over the was, double line. That lines. was Bathurst twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three hundred and ninety dollars for crossing an oh. unbroken white line. Doing a U-turn. Yeah, don't Ouch. do that, kids. Anyway, we digress. That'll be uh, On the Grid, On the Road, part two. Uh, on the Road Returns. Yeah, beautiful stuff. Uh, on the Road, there was some great racing on the road. There's no doubt about it. Talk to us about the, seeing 62 cars in front of you, all different classes, categories, and everything just seemed to work so well. Well, Shebex, it was 63. Uh, it was... Um, it was a really not after, good. Not after five laps. No, no, you're right. It, no, it was barely fifty. Um, <laughs> it was a really good race, and the the one risk you run into with the Bathurst Six Hour is that in the past it can be a safety car fest. And to to explain that further, in 2021 there were two hours and 40 minutes of safety car out of the six hours, and that's a lot. It's yep. probably too much. Um, and we were concerned about that mainly because this year where we're broadcast by a network that doesn't have commercial breaks. So it's not like you can go, right, well, while we're under yellow, we're going to take a short break and uh, get some yellow out of the way while nothing's happening. Uh, you can't do that on stand. It's at break free. So we were a little bit worried about that. In the end, only six safety cars for 11 laps out of 130, mm. which was amazing. Everyone behaved themselves. They felt like there was a great amount of respect generally between fast cars passing slow cars and slow cars not doing outrageously silly things getting in the way of fast cars. The the quality of the field, I think, was higher. I think the level of preparation and machinery that was in the field this year was higher, so that probably helped. And a lot of the problems were really good cars. They were the good BMWs mm. slowing down. They were the, the outright contenders striking issues. So, And the other thing was I've never watched a Bathurst race where we've got away with so much that should and would in previous times cause a lengthy safety yeah, car, but didn't. Fair call. So Tony Alford in the Mustang got turned around at the kink on the run into the cutting. Now, usually that's Ambrose v. Murphy spec, the track is jammed. At the very least, it's single car, very heavy crash, takes a long time to recover because it's blind, narrow, and crazy. But he did a U-bolt and drove away. And then the Lexus got turned around by the same car, it must be said, uh, at the Dipper. The Dipper. 
We've all been around the dipper. It's ridiculous. You cannot see. But with some really good work from the officials on the side and the fact that we had the drone, and dead set, this is what happened, we plonked the drone up in the air above it. So the race officials were communicating with the flaggies on the scene, saying, all right, we can see there's not another car coming there at Reed Park. You've got enough time to say, all right, do a U-bolt, turn the big Lexus around and get him back in. No safety car. It was extraordinary. I've never called a race at that joint where we've got away with so much. And I think that played a big role. I tell you what, sitting on top of the mountain in the early laps uh, with the camera out, there were so many close calls. And none of it would have made TV because you're running your own agenda there. (coughs) But, yeah, it was amazing the number of things that they got away with. But then pointing the camera at the track, there's cars everywhere. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, no, exactly right. Uh, the other thing too, and I should have asked Cameron this question, Richard, with the BMWs having issues the way they were, when you're driving the same sort of car, does all do you all of a sudden start to think, well, I wonder if that's going to happen to me because in supercars you've got your own bits, obviously, but yeah, oh, these are pretty much genuine production cars. Yeah, look, but well, they are genuine production cars. I spoke to Beric Linton at the Kelso Maccas on Monday morning, as you do, and uh, both having a healthy uh, elite athlete breakfast that we were. And um, he said the problems we had with all our cars were stuff we've never had before. Yeah. And and they are the best in the business when it comes to understanding production cars, especially BMWs. And, and they've got generally all of the complex electronics sorted out, but they had issues with the lift pumps and the fuel, some lim- home stuff that happened that they'd never experienced before. But that's production car racing, and that, that's how it goes. There was always the, the question that it might happen to the other cars, but then at the same point, you could have been tipped into a crash at the chase as well. So that's just the nature of of production car racing at Mount Panorama. But in the end, while we did lose some heavy hitters, and it was a shame to not see Anton Di Pasquale and Will Davison, for example, in their cars show the kind of pace that they would have had, um, at the same time, we were fortunate that the way the race played out, we kept the good cars remained on the lead lap for the most part. We kept Nick Perkett in the show, um, you know, right up until the final hour. The Russells from Newcastle were in the mix as well. I thought they were brilliant all day. They did mm. such a good job. So we ended up with three or four cars on the lead lap at the end, and we still managed to get that that Bathurst shootout at the end between Cam Hill and Tim Slade, which was a really, really entertaining battle. And um, as Cameron told us just before, like one of the best races he's ever had in his career. And I spoke to Slady after the race, and he said much the same. He said, mate, that was just outrageous fun. Knew we were probably going to get gobbled up at some point because that was so much quicker, but he was going to work for it, and we made him work for it. And um, great respect shown by them. Grandstand finish, a tremendous motor race. With, with all that green flag running there towards the end, strategy i mean that was a big talking point there right towards the the pointy end of the the end of the race how was fuel going to pan out mm. yeah and and just uh, we, we touched on it briefly with cam and he was quite complimentary of the the brad car tim slade strategy and they got their six mandatory pit stops at 90 second each plus change uh they got them done early so they had a discretionary stop. They their last pit stop was as fast as they could put fuel in that car and it turned out that the the story they sold us in broadcast was a little bit more theatrical than perhaps it actually was in fuel. And uh, while they gave us the line that had it gone green all the way, they were going to run out. The reality is, is that they were probably going to be okay and could still have pressed on had it gone green all the way. But 
regardless, um, Cameron and his team took the option to spend a little bit more time, put those two right-hand side tyres on in their final compulsory stop, um, and it, it sacrificed them about 30 seconds net from where they would have been, so they were 50 seconds behind. And Cameron just said that he didn't think he'd catch them uh, had the race stayed green. I, I think he probably would have because the thing had car speed to burn, but it would have been a, a really tense finish. But what we got was that safety car. It closed things down. It, it made 50 seconds 10, and then it was a shootout. And ultimately, that decision to burn a little bit more time probably won the race for Cameron Hill because had the the car outfit put tyres on in their last stop on the right-hand side, they probably would have been... 25 seconds in front had it remained green, uh, but they would have had something more to fight with um, from a tyre condition point of view because they were they were out on their feet. So it was really interesting. But, uh, yeah, I love the way that the strategy played out. And, and often in those races where you've got a mandatory number of pit stops and the cars can do it on that number, so you can do that race on six stops, both for driver time mm-hmm. and for fuel, sometimes it takes the strategic fun out of it and you lose that peril of will they or won't they, but we still got that. In the end, I thought with the the way that race played out. So the BMW M2 competition, what can possibly beat it? What what is in this sort of realm of? Is there anything out there that could take it to these cars? Well, it's it's sixty or seventy kilos lighter than an M3 or an M4. The M4s in particular are a heavier car, hmm. um, but it's that's production car racing, isn't it? And and the story of prodi car racing at Bathurst especially is filled with the sport finding the next best thing mm. and everyone gravitating to it. So the RX seven had to have one of those to win the 12 hour back in the day, three, three, five, I BMW Evo 10 Lancer, like for, they were the, the things to have in production car racing mm. for a decade, weren't they? Um, the M three and M four were next and now it's the M two. So it's a matter of finding the next best thing to, to do the job. And the, you know, everyone goes, Oh, it's a BMW whitewash, but no one, of a, a team and with the force of respect to everybody, no one of a team of Cameron Hill's quality or Berwick Linton's quality has built an Audi RS3 mm. or an RS4 or something along those lines. And they would be the most obvious candidate to, um, to win the race. I don't know. Uh, we know that Nick Burkett won at Bathurst a long time ago. Did he have his biggest win though on the weekend? Was that the, the biggest escape we've ever seen at Bathurst? How freaky was that? Oh, man. That was threading the needle at its absolute best. And, and it was, I got the photo of him reenacting yes. it in the uh, lobby of the uh, podium while he was watching the the screen, the replay with yeah. uh, Slide Dog there. And oh. uh, he just said, oh, I just rolled up into a little ball and somehow <laughs> got through. <laughs> That's another one of those examples I was saying. like The, the difference between that race, between an enormous accident and not ha- nothing happening was so fine all day, but we came out on the right side of the ledger. It's a huge moment. Nick was great. Wasn't he just loving his motorsport at the moment? I think he's relaxed. He's confident where he's at in his supercar career. Yeah, and he's got call. no dramas floating into to these events and just having, having a bit of fun. And you know, third place, like Shane and Rob did a really good job. They defended a Bathurst win with third. Uh, anytime you're on the podium, there's good. So it's a pretty good way to back up your, uh, back up your victory last year. I like his uh, pre-race chat on Stan Sport. Uh, so what happened? What was the timeline for you being here? I was in a briefing and 
Rob or Shane, Shane phoned up yep. and said, would you like to do it? And I'll talk to you after the briefing. And then after the briefing, I opened Speed Cafe and there I was going to Bathurst this weekend. <laughs> yeah. I might have had something to do with that. <laughs> Good lad. Good on you. Well done. Sorry, uh, and also just need to know if Rusty's actually made it home to New Zealand because I've done those production car podiums before. And they go for a good couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, our joke was that Rusty would still be there when the 12-hour starts in a few weeks, so we'll just use him for that too. But, no, he barreled through it, the consummate professional that he is, uh, outstanding performance. A couple of other um, other performances we're singling out from that race. Um, Mike Sheargold, Dylan O'Keefe, Ollie yeah. Shannon in the, yeah. the Ram AMG, kept the thing on the lead lap and finished fourth outright. That was really good. Quiet achievers, the Cavich brothers in the second of the M2 competitions run by Garth Walden. They were seventh at the end of the day. That was really good. Um, and after being robbed, frankly, a couple of times at that joint, Grant Denyer's finally got a big Bathurst trophy, and he was very, very happy. He and Tony Quinn managed to uh, win A2 in their Ford Mustang, um, and that place has bitten Grant a lot of times. And he is absolutely a local, and he managed to... Uh, managed to get a class win and was over the moon and it almost made up for Tony Quinn dropping the F-bomb and the C-bomb on national television on the uh, on the Saturday. So uh, nice performance from them. That was a, a lot of swearing, wasn't it, really? It was, yes. In a country, very, country cousins, I told you. Very short space of time. Uh, your mates, Mark, uh, 11th place for the Grand Prix Master Boys, Jake Camilleris and Scotty Nicholas. That was another giant killing performance, wasn't it? The, the old, old Mazda MP3 MPS just keeps on giving, doesn't it? They've uh, racked up a lot of good results in uh, class, but they absolutely smoked it. Six-lap mm. crush for those boys in Class C, which is good to see. And friends of the race talk, B-Pro Racing, 18th outright, first in Class D, Parrish, Wooler, Robotham. Well done. Uh, I reckon that's the first class win we've had with anyone carrying a TRT sticker on their helmet. So that's a good effort. Yes. Mm. Yes, indeed. Uh, Our boys there, we were pitted next to Cameron Hills, guys. Yes. And at the finish, you know, they they were pretty pleased with their efforts. Tell you what, the Class D uh, (laughs) celebration uh, went very long into the night. They had a very good crack at that, but... uh, Good effort by them. Jay Robotham, he's a he's a guru and yeah, he's what, eighteen years old. He's destined mm. to very big things. Just the, the maturity he showed, like I, I went on the track walk with him and just the leadership that he showed in that was enough to make me go, Yeah, okay. It's all right going out there and winning a, a super two race at Sydney Motorsport Park, but uh, he's got his head screwed on right. We can be flippant about a lot of things, but what we can't be flippant about is the amount of young talent that's around at the moment and the fact that motor racing in this country is just going to be in good hands for at least another 20 years. Oh, no. And beyond that, but yeah, no, but yeah we've just got some great kids racing at the moment. Yeah, people know who Tom Sargent is now, don't they? Yeah, well, yeah, a few of us knew who he was last year, but just great he gets the opportunity yeah, to shine on a big stage. Deliver on the big stage. A few other things. Uh, it was a sort of a race of seconds. Um, second largest Bathurst field ever at 63 um, behind the, the 64 record. So it ties the Bathurst 1000 on three occasions, had 63 starters. So the record is 64, still held by the Bathurst six hour in 2017. Uh, second most distance or distance record for the race, 130 laps. The record's 131, so we're one short there, but that's all right. A new lap record, record attendance too, just over 18,500 over the three days, and it felt that it was genuinely improved on where it was last year by about the 
the 3000. It's exactly what it felt like. Um, really good, good show. Liked it a lot. Everyone's off now building BMW M2 competitions for next year. Uh, so it'll be the BMW Cup moving forward, but that's all right. There's still lots of variety in the field and um, looking forward to this race continuing to build and become something really good. Someone needs to build a Toyota Supra. I reckon that's the gun mm. car that hasn't been built yet. Nah. Yeah. You are right in last week's podcast when you said that they're pretty ugly. They are. They're not good-looking cars. We passed one on the road up, and I was offended. But yeah. I think they'll be a pretty trick little race car. But uh, anyway. The thing is, you passed it. That's the main thing. Well, they were going the other way. I tell you, my big knot for the weekend was that shunt in the Trans Ams yeah. halfway down Conrod, John Hollinger. That was an absolute helicopter. I just sort of caught the end of it when he's rolled uh, to a stop in the chase there. I was like, oh, that's not looking good. And you watch the replay, and it certainly yeah. wasn't. It was a shocker. Yeah, yeah it was a hit. Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, let's turn our attention to F1s. They're back this weekend after a successful few days in Oz. It's a weird calendar, this one, and I'm sure there's a theory behind it, but to spend those big three weeks away in Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Australia, and then not to go to America, but to go to Italy first and then go to America's strange for me. But I can sort of understand it because if you don't go back to Europe, you don't get to pick up all your goodies, I suppose. Well, yeah, I think organising a 23-race global calendar is challenging. Yeah. at this point in time, more so than ever before, perhaps. So, uh, yeah, it's just the way it's uh, it's landed. I'm looking forward to seeing Imola full because the last two years they've raced there, they've been had no crowd because of the pandemic. So And Imola full when Ferrari, Ferrari are doing going, so yeah, well. Exactly right. Correct. <laughs> Crazy so stuff. You watch them drop it like it's hot. It would be such a Ferrari thing to do. <laughs> dominate the first part of the championship and then rock up at home turf and the things will explode on lap one. Um, yeah, looking forward to it, Chebex. Um, Merck keep talking about upgrades to their car and, and getting on top of their um, their porpoising issues that are causing them some speed. Can the McLarens continue their pretty decent form from Australia? You know, question marks abound, and someone's going to have to start beating Charles Leclerc sooner rather than later because otherwise he's going to be two races in front of the championship. Right now he's a race and a half in front of everybody else, which is a huge margin after mm. three uh, three Grand Prix. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, what does Sainz do? He's got to bounce back as well. I mean, he had an absolute barry there in Australia, and you know, he's been up the pointy end out otherwise. But that McLaren question, the first two races, nowhere. Yeah, then suddenly somewhere. Like, if that's how this new rules package can go with these different teams, they lob up to a track where they can find something that suits them. That's uh, good. Who, who's in play? Everyone's in play. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Uh, we've got IndyCar on this weekend too, haven't we? Uh, the, no, I think we've got no. an IndyCar open test at the Speedway, and oh, okay, then cool. the next trip is to Barber Motorsport Park in Barber, yeah. Alabama, uh, and then they're off to the Speedway for the month of May, and yeah. uh, GMR Grand Prix at Indianapolis on the Saturday, then Pole Day the week after, and then the 106 running. Actually, it was kind of cool, um little PR thing that Stan Sport had organised with the uh, people at IMS was that the the IMS are doing a world tour of the green flag that will start the race. Yeah, that and was cool. It had just been to New Zealand, hanging out with all the Scotty Dixon and uh, Scott McLaughlin's mates, I understand. I haven't seen any photos of it, but it definitely happened. Uh, came to Australia and it, and it had a like an embossed 
stick, whatever you flagpole, mini flagpole. What do you yeah, call yeah, the thing yeah. you put a green flag on? I don't know. Um, a flagpole. You know, with 106 running Indianapolis 500, all the pomp and circumstance they like. Um, and the flag was doing the world tour. So I love the fact that the green flag for that race was shown and, and waved at Mount Panorama. It's, it's, that's a really cool little gesture. Um, and I know the Yanks and everyone at IMS are absolutely froth over that stuff because they love it. So cool little promo and, and yeah, good countdown to uh, the biggest race in the world at the end of May where we've got a legit chance to see a, either a Will Power win, a Scott Dixon win, or a Scott McLaughlin win potentially. Yeah. Wouldn't did, that be a story? Did you give the flag a wave by any chance? Did I give it a wave? Yeah. I did not give it a wave. Ah. But you, but you got to see the flag pole. I got to see the flag. Mm. Mm, interesting. Green flag with a nice pole. Okay, good. My first and only probably NASCAR race that I'll watch this year because normally Monday mornings I'm at work and it just happened to be on a dirt track, which is sort of exciting, but sort of crappy at the same too. It was just, when, especially when it rains, it turns to mud. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It, the actual that was probably good for the track um, mm-hmm. because they, they need to tacky it up a bit. Because, well, it was uh, like ice. You're right. It, you know, it dries out because you know normally a sprint car race, whatever, they're short, sharp affairs, even a, a feature. Whereas uh, for the old NASCAR, it's like, well, we're running NASCAR Cup length races on a dirt track, which doesn't really take it. I think they sorted out the prep a bit better this year, this time around. But it's a whole debate about okay, we want to have a dirt race on the on the calendar as a throwback to the good old days and something that's a bit more diverse in, you know, what is the, the normal serving of NASCAR where, it, you know, the calendar was dominated by these mile and a half cookie cutters. And then they've started going to road courses, go to the Coliseum, have the really, really short oval there. So Bristol have turned around and covered their track with dirt for six months of the year, which takes a good short track off the menu, which is mm. something that grates a lot of people. You know, the argument is from people who aren't Bristol Motor Speedway, if we're going to have a dirt track, why don't we make it an Eldora or a Knoxville or one of these tracks that is a proper dirt track that is used to being prepped this way? Take the windscreens out of the cars, run them like a dirt car, like no other, you know, dirt cars run a windscreen. It's pretty silly because they get covered in muck and you can't do anything about it. Mm. Can't see, which might be fun. I don't know, but... (laughs) Uh, it turned out to be a, a cracking finish. Uh, oh, ripper finish. Regardless there, uh, Chase Briscoe banging into uh, Tyler Reddick on the final turns and Kyle Busch coming in through to take a win for his 18th straight season. Pretty big stats there by the candy man to number 18. The salty candy man. He's, uh, <laughs> he's definitely on the salty peanut M&Ms at the moment. And, he? <laughs> and he's uh, he was anti the whole dirt Bristol thing, but uh, I think he uh, put a bit more sugar in it uh, after that. But Tyler Reddick, he's so close to cracking a win over there, uh, driving for RCR. He's been at the pointy end for a lot of this year. And uh, Richard Childress Racing, did a lot of work developing this new package of car. So they seem to have their act together ahead of where they typically used to be. So um, it'd be interesting to see how he goes. If he can continue the form, no doubt he'll pick up a win somewhere. But uh, he certainly lost a few before he's earned his first one. Actually, Briscoe was uh, – I felt sorry for him. He a great win in the second race of the night. And then he started from 17th, I think, for that third race. Yeah. And he got himself up into a position where he did. And, yeah, it was a shame. It happened, though. So. It does, but uh, he's had a win earlier on this year uh, out there racing for Tony Stewart. Good boss to have, really, isn't he? Mm. 
Should go and run at Tony Stewart's racetrack at Eldora, you'd think, wouldn't you? Anyway, mm. good mm. stuff. Good stuff. Uh, next week, we preview the Super V8s over at Wanneroo. We do. It's not Barbagello anymore. Why not? Well, because they were a sponsor, it turned out. Everyone just assumed I thought it was after that named it, after a bloke. Well, no, Alf, Alf, but it's yeah. Wanneroo Raceway. It is back to being Wanneroo Raceway. So there you go. No, that sucks too. No, well, it's, I'm just telling you the facts here, mate. That's that's NASCAR on dirt tracks. That's <laughs> Well, it's another short track supercar racing, isn't it? Uh, and it is. uh, I don't know what tyre they're bringing. I don't know if they're bringing the, the Ubersoft there. I hope they are because yeah. it's the one place we actually get. <laughs> the Ubersoft there. will sit fair income, be cut up by the first turn. That hairpin, that just is the grading stuff on tyres. It has been for a long, long time in its career. Uh, and, I mean... We've got the Saturday night race too, prime time oh, yeah. on the East Coast. I think it's about 8.30 mm. kickoff for that on Saturday night, so that's going to be interesting to see how that goes and uh, then run the Perth time zones for the Sunday Arvo races. Very interesting given Fox and KO had record numbers for their Grand Prix coverage. Uh, there's about half a million people watching on KO for the Australian Grand Prix this year, which is Wowie. enormous, huge number. It's over 750k on Channel 10 too, which is not a bad number. So uh, yeah. well done to uh, the good crew at the 10 Network. What are you going to do with yourself this weekend, Richard? Are you just going to go and commentate cars going past in the street? Or is that what, what, what's um, the plan? How are you going to get through this, mate? It's uh, it's a bit of a come down. I'm not going to lie to you. It's uh, <laughs> I feel like I've been on, not that I know what it's like, but I feel like I've been on some really good drugs for the last two weeks. And uh, now I'm in rehab. And uh, I don't really know what quite to do. I, I suspect it will involve me sitting in a corner, just gently rocking back and forth. And um, that'll be about it, I think. Is there a slot car track near you anywhere? Just oh, well, some well, of that. I own one, so I could get that out, I suppose. But yeah. it's not the same thing, Shabax, you know. Do, do you want me just to phone you with some back mic, you know, <laughs> Sledging or something. <laughs> well, there is a 10-hour loop of the Formula One theme song on YouTube. Oh, that'll do. That'll get yeah. you through. So the music they play when the grid rolls, which I really like. Um, which is the music you play to go to sleep to. It is. But So there's a 10-hour loop of that. So there's Saturday. So that'll get me through one. And mm. then um, I'll, I'll make it, I'll make just it just work. Just play, play it five times and then, yeah. you, then well, you're Monday. We'll get through to Monday and we'll go to Perth. So it's nothing. Fine. Nothing happening at Malala? You could go and... Actually, uh, the, the uh, Malala Historics are happening at Oh, Malala, there you go. So, uh, We're right which now. Will be, which will be good. So I, I can just see the commentators now go, and joining us for a quick chat no, is... No, 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 they're not going to introduce him. He's just going to storm the commentary box. <laughs> they're not going to have an option. <laughs> it's my box. Get out of here. I would genuinely love to call the Malala Historics. Actually, right there's a really spicy field of historic sports sedans there, which is there something cool. Yes. It's uh, yep. a good sports sedan track, old Malala and uh, a fair few good pieces of kit have come out of the woodworks for that one, so that'll the, be worth seeing. The XHDT Beast with a big 202, supercharged mm. 202 in the front is running, and that's I love that car. It's great. Uh, yeah, no, good event. Malala Historics are tremendous. Looking forward to it. A uh, good show, boys. Thank you so much for your input, as always. Thank you. It's been a, a massive come down, but uh, we're looking forward to... Uh... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, 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 no. The week has after last oh. weekend. It's hard to bounce back after a Bathurst Enduro, Shabeki. No, I can understand. Yeah. You just go, you. For a, go for a drive in the 944 and record a podcast by yourself. Broken. Oh, okay. Broken. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Broken. See you, Mark. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us right here on The Grid.